We're picking up on a few things today, because obviously you all know that we don't just preach Sunday to Sunday. We follow a very specific curriculum and process. And today is especially interesting because in the next few weeks, we're going to bring two strands together. One of which is uh, that which we have been working on since we started meeting again after lockdown. And that is the active equipping and getting ready to witness. Witnessing strategies, uh, witnessing truths, ways that we can be more efficient, more effective. And we've spent quite a lot of time on looking at that. But then the second strand we're also bringing into day again is last year we actually had this, what's written here, written on this board when we did the study of Romans. And what we did when we wrote this is it's all from scripture, specifically the first five uh, chapters of the book of Romans. And we took out specific little parts that define different elements of the gospel to kind of condense it and see uh, how we find the gospel, the essence of the gospel, in the book of Romans. And we are going to look at this again in a way of uh, refining our witness strategy. But today we're not going to focus so much on what's written here. We're not going to focus so much on the elements of the gospel and what makes the gospel. We are going to use the first two chapters, chapter and a half of Romans, mm -hmm. to look at strategy. We're going to look at how Paul starts his letter. We're going to see that he makes a few things quite clear in his letter to the Roman church. He makes clear to them why he's writing to them. He makes clear what he's writing to them. And he's very clear on how he's writing it. Okay. So we're going to look at that. So, we're, so again, we're not going to focus too much on this today. We will look at this in the next few weeks. But today we're going to focus on how Paul ministers to the Romans, why he ministers to them, and what he ministers to them. Okay. So before we look at that, Sulani is going to clarify and establish one or two things for us. Sulani. All right. Thank you. Um, okay. So um, within our fellowship, we know that uh, Mone and Nadia have been released by the Lord um, officially to minister to the body and within the body. And we all have um, accepted them as ministers and teachers towards us when they were released um, and have stepped into agreement of allowing them to minister to us and speak into our lives. And so we know that within... Uh, the fellowship that um, the rest of us, I would say for now, um, are in the process of equipping and, and getting ready to witness and share the gospel. Um, but we have not yet been released as ministers um, within the body. So we, uh, we just want to... Um, bring to light again that we are not allowed 
to speak into or minister uh, towards one another within the body of Messiah. <laughs> before, before we go there, I just want to make sure this point comes across clearly. So even though we have been officially released in a fivefold capacity, we know that there are others who have also been released to the body. It's the ministering part is not so much about the official release as it is about the body accepting those people and agreeing that they are um, giving permission for these people to minister to them in whichever capacity they were released in. So it's not so much about, oh, wow, this person has been released. It's more about as a body, we've accepted certain people in certain roles to minister to us. We've given them permission. So outside of that, if anyone should minister, then they would not only be uh, crossing the boundaries of their own uh, capacity and that which the Lord has released them in, but they would also not be fair towards the members of the body mm -hmm. because the members of the body have not officially received them uh, and made it known that they agree that they are willing to receive their ministry. Does that make sense? Okay. okay. Um, I'm going to interrupt you as well. Yes. The, uh, we've been steadily step by step at times. We've just been... Um, recapping on some of the principles because there's now quite a long list of principles and we and so this is just another step because you know if you recap on the principles all at the same time then it's going to be too much so we're going to bit by bit just remind everybody about certain principles within the teaching times okay okay Um, so, okay, so the reason why we are bringing this to light is simply because it's, it, it keeps all of us safe. Um, if, I, if I was to raise a question towards someone um, about my personal life or my personal walk, or perhaps a question I ha might have within the Word, I am placing the other person that um, I have not formed agreement with in, in ministering towards me, I'm putting them in a position where they might be tempted to give me advice within my own personal walk to potentially lead me or guide me into a specific direction that might potentially um, influence how I think about the specific subject and how I'm going to go about this subject within my life hmm. and this is in essence ministering to me because they are sending me in a specific direction potentially hmm. um, so not only am I putting that person in danger of overstepping their authority that they have within the Lord and within the body I'm also most possibly putting them into temptation or I could be causing them to wonder what are they supposed to be doing now? Should they give me an answer? Should they refer me to leadership? Should they tell someone about what just happened? There's a whole sp spaces created for being unsure um, and, and um, doubt or just uh, offense most possibly also creeping in. 
So sorry, just on that. So again, this is linking back to the principles. <coughs> Instead of being more focused on what we're doing, we always want mm -hmm. to be outward focused. We want to be focused on the other person. Mm -hmm. How is my actions going to influence the other person? Mm -hmm. So whether I'm asking the question or being asked the question, we want to minimize offense. We want to always benefit and edify the other person. Remember, these are all the principles that we, we have been doing. So, and the reason we implement the principles and the reason we've been so strong on the principles is for this very reason. We don't want to overstep. We don't want to cause offense. We want to have every member of the body grow into their full potential. And we don't want to in any way be a hindrance or a stumbling block to anyone else. Um, so, so, sorry, yeah. maybe could you give us some examples? Yes. Okay, so we're going to look at some examples. What does it look like when we minister to each other? What are we allowed to do? What aren't we allowed to do? Maybe just start with that. What are we allowed yes. to do? What aren't we allowed to do? So, we are more than welcome to encourage one another uh, within the word of the Lord and within what He has said. Um, we are fully allowed to, when a question might arise, to refer that person to what has been taught within uh, the fellowship or by the Lord to us. Um, we're allowed to remind one another, we're allowed to refer one another to teachings, um, we're allowed to encourage one another, um, you know, within the scriptures, but we never allow to, um, or we, we shouldn't be encouraging out of an experience we've had in our own walk or in our, our own lives or within our own understanding within the word that has not been established within the group. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, okay. <laughs> um, so the moment okay. we yeah. the moment we minister, what do we yes. do okay. in effect? What happens to the other person? Okay. So, when I minister to some, or if ministry happens, this will send someone um, into a specific direction. It could influence them to um, move into a certain direction. It could influence their thought processes and their decision making regarding um, whatever might have been arised or spoken into by the other person. Um, an example that I think might help is we as a um, household often come together in the evenings to read the word together um, and if a question was to arise whilst reading regarding the scriptures um, each one of us are allowed to remind one another what has been said and taught within the word so I can for example tell them do you guys remember this teaching do you remember uh, Morna and Nadia explained it in this manner, this is what they said it means and how it works. Um, so I'm simply reminding of what has been taught um, within, within the Word. Also, um, within that context, mm. uh, under those circumstances you could just basically say, uh, also look here, Paul has written this, or, this mm. or John has written this, or Messiah taught this, mm. that's fine. Mm. If it's clearly said, then... A clear then reference mm. to what has been established. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, so... But what are you not allowed yes. to do? I'm never... <laughs> I'm never allowed, 
as the rest of you uh, to I don't have free reign to establish doctrine at all or teach regarding doctrine whatsoever um, I cannot if I don't have the answer to the question asked or I also can't remember what was said or taught regarding the situation but I think I might have had some revelation within this piece of scripture I'm not allowed to share my personal revelation with the others or interpretation or interpretation why but, is that so? this because it would it can very potentially cause them to read the word um, differently and it might be incorrect I also don't the Lord has not released me to be able to um, guide you into how you should understand the word whereas with Morna and Nadia and then everyone who wrote the, the word Paul Peter, John, etc., have been released by the Lord as teachers to interpret and explain and expound on, on what has been taught. So it's, a safe, it's safe for them to explain to us what it might mean, uh, whereas I'm still in the process of learning um, and I have not, if I have not been released, then I don't have all the understanding I should have yet. <laughs> I think just yeah. also tell everybody that we, what we are we allowed for that on a Thursday. Explain that matter. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm going to start. Go for it. So we're allowed on a Thursday. We come together and we um, have quite a bit of interaction with one another in our experience throughout the week of what was taught. How did we experience it? How do we understand it? How are we implementing this in our lives? You know what revelation came to the front for us. Um, we're allowed to do this within context in the body um, because we have Morna and we have Nadia here as well and the rest of everyone to be able to weigh and um, see whether it in fact is correct if my understanding is biblical and, and correct. If it happens to not be quite right, they can correct and they can establish what you know, this perhaps was not the correct interpretation and actually when you look at the context, this is what it means. So it just makes it safe and no one else is um, in doubt or starts wondering about, you know, mm. they said this thing but you said this thing. Or basically challenging what you're saying. Yes. I'm sorry to ask a question but um, it actually happens a lot that one would sort of minister doctrine to someone outside. Yes, I was. We, we're going to get to. We're going to yeah. get to that. And that's so, yeah. Yes. So this is why we're doing this teaching. When so the rest of the teaching is going to be focused on how do we relate in witnessing to those outside because that's going to encapsulate doctrine mm. and theology. On the inside, because we have agreement with each other, we have protocol, we have structure, and we have order. We can't apply the same to the people outside. Because we don't yet have agreement with them and we don't have the same order. We, so that's why we're covering the basis first when it comes to inside. Because it's going to cause us now to walk um, in two specific ways. Inside, we have Thursday evenings and like this on a Sunday, uh, only to a limited degree, where we can test what we understand and uh, let's just make it clear that we don't have veto right no, we don't tell everybody what to believe everything that we've taught we've presented to the fellowship you're supposed to go home check the scriptures mm -hmm. verify 
by the scriptures that we have taught you the right thing. If there's any doubt, then you're supposed to let us know on a, on a Thursday or before that I've got a question about the teaching, something was unclear, something um, I don't think is right, so we can sort that out. So we're assuming that the path we've walked so far, that everything that we've presented to you, you have confirmed for yourself because you didn't say anything to the negative or opposed. And so you've verified it, you've come to understand it, and that's the assumption. So that causes, th this establishes a structure where we're not telling you what to believe. We are presenting to you what the Lord gave us to present. We verify it from the scriptures. You have tested it. You've implemented it. You've tested it. It works. It makes sense. And so that becomes ours, not ours. Does it make sense? And so that's why it becomes a safe place when it comes to doctrine and so forth, theology, uh, interpreta interpretation of the scriptures. And so within this, in the fellowship itself, we want to be careful not to confuse things for each other. So if, for instance, in a Bible study at home, a question arises among them, Sulani would be the person because she's been released as a deacon, to be able with JP, who's also been released as a deacon, to go, this is what's been taught. We can either agree this has been what's been taught, or we can refer it back to the general assembly. They're not refer referring it back to us. Mm -hmm. They're referring it back to the assembly. That's why we do church dif differently. Remember, everything is... Um, walked out as an assembly, not as leadership. Um, then we're going to talk about now when it comes to out there, because here you're not allowed to, to minister doctrine. Out there you're going to have to witness, and that's the balance we're going to look at today. Okay, just we need to cover prophetic words and those yes, things. Yes, yes, okay. we're, going, we're going there. Okay, so, <coughs> so Charlene is quite right. We, we end up with a bit of a conundrum. So we know that um, we don't want to overstep. We are all in a process of growing, the Lord renewing us into our full potential and capabilities. We don't want to run ahead or do things that we're not supposed to do because it might not only hurt us, but it might cause damage to those around us. That being said, we also know that the Great Commissioning is true and that we are supposed to live as living sacrifices and witness to the truth and the goodness of Yahweh. Okay, so what is the difference? What's the difference between ministering and witnessing? Okay, this is going to revolve basically around motivations of the heart. Okay. We're going to see this as well in the letter that Paul writes to the Romans. We know, we know, when we think of all the letters that Paul has written, and for that matter, the other apostles who have written letters, it's always very clear very soon in the letter why they're going to write the letter. Their motivations are always clear. There's no hidden agendas. Nothing is, you know, done and then later there's some kind of motivation that wasn't made clear at the beginning. Motivations are always clear. Nothing is hidden. Everything is done in the light. 
in the same way, <clears throat> when we learn to witness, we want to learn the same strategies. Okay, so in the difference in witnessing and ministering, basically, we're going to do another example of what it looks like to minister. <clears throat> but basically, it comes down to this. Ministering is going to point or direct someone in a direction, into a movement. We're going to influence the way they make decisions. We're going to influence their actions. We're going to speak into their walk with the Lord. Witnessing, on the other hand, is much more deeply connected to the Lord being formed in us. The word that we have in us. That is why we don't believe in witnessing just being the moments that we actually speak to someone else about God, about the truth of God, or about His gospel. Witnessing is a moment-to-moment -moment reality that we move in. We witness when we allow the Holy Spirit to take control. And this doesn't have to be a spiritual experience or a spiritual event. These are moments where we implement principles. Our day-to-day -day way that we live. For years, Monet has been prophesying or, or um, proclaiming that we are hoping for, we are believing for a prophetic people. And this does not mean that we are going to all become super spiritual and just, you know, speaking tongues all day long. This is a people that can witness to the goodness of God and the truth of God in the way that they do life. Okay, so we can witness to someone without speaking a word. We can witness to someone just by the way that we work, by the way that we apply self-control, knowing when to speak and what to say. This is very strongly also connected to wisdom. However, we do know that there are moments when we have to actively witness to people on the outside. And this is the moments where we actually have to share the gospel with someone because they are either seeking or we see the need or we see the faith that they have, but they don't know how to direct it. Or someone maybe just needs someone to just suggest a direction for them or help with a little bit of information that could send them on their way. Okay, And this is where we actively witness to people on the outside. Generally, this would lead to them coming in. Remember, we've done the picture of grace. And grace is the working of inclusion. So bringing the seed that was outside to the inside, where it's a safe place. Just define inside of what? Inside the... Not church. No, not church. Inside the body. We, in our day and age, it's known as the body. So grace is the picture of the ringed wall that serves as a, a wall that protects the seed on the inside. Um, I think, Rob, you guys might have watched the teachings that we've done on grace as well with the protecting wall. The seed is on the inside and chaos and judgments on the outside. Okay, and now grace is the working of inclusion. So when we witness to someone, the, the motivation should be to bring them in. Not into church. Not even into this fellowship. The truth is we want to bring them into a safe place. And we know that that safe place is in the body, in the Lord. 
We do know, however, that we, as a fellowship, as a group of believers, do represent the truth of the body and the truth of the safe place on earth. And we know that it is in this area. So if I'm going to witness to someone in, the, in this area, then the natural thing would be to invite them in. But this is not with the motivation to promote us in any way. It's not the motivation is not to add numbers or to grow. The motivation is simply to bring them into a safe place where they can grow, where they can be discipled, and where they can get to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. Okay. If we should learn in the future of another part of the body that is walking in truth and actively equipping the people to be discipled, to know the Lord and to come into all truth, then there's no reason why we couldn't refer them there because that would also be a bringing in. Is that clear? Does that make sense? Okay, so um, okay, well, I'm just gonna, I want to get to this, yes, yes. this meaty stuff. So I, I want to wrap this up. Okay. So when it comes to just recapping on principles for everybody's safety, we want to remind everybody again. Okay, we are ministering to people outside, but the moment that a person comes into the agreement of the fellowship then we can remind them of a teaching remind them when we refer to teachings is we have labored through truths and scriptures and uh, interpretation of scriptures so we've worked through it that's why that's the safe area you don't have to figure it out and then whatever you think you figured out tell to the other person and they go off and they think that's truth but it wasn't necessarily connected to other truths. That's how all the confusion and disorder in the Christian world has come about. Mm. Let's be honest with each other. If you go out there, everybody's ministering to everybody. Okay? It's just the way it is. Everybody's giving their two cents to everybody else and they're contaminating each other. It's very difficult to go and correct what you have told someone else later on. Now you have maybe grown in more understanding and you've fixed your doctrine but the people that you shared it your mistakes with they still believe it it's a big problem in this way we have a safe space now when it comes to a prophetic word don't package prophetic words as an encouragement a prophetic word isn't a prophetic word and we have a, an agreement when it comes to any form of prophetic word. But that's the other word, it's a thing that sounds or looks like a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. A proclamation of who God is that's going to influence that person's walk and decisions and uh, thinking. That's a prophetic word. <clears throat> the agreement is this. Any word like that, you don't have to let us know before the time what, what word you have. So in, in generally in, in the Christian world, they kind of, they say they weigh the words, but they actually just um, sift through stuff. And often they will sift out valid words that doesn't suit them. Okay, so we don't want to do that. We don't want to usurp authority. We have authority, but we don't want to usurp authority. Does that make sense? So we have an agreement in place. I want to remind everybody of this agreement. Any form of sharing or a prophetic word that, that could look like an encouragement, but if it's going to land in that person's heart and help them make decisions or guide their lives, you wait until the fellowship is together 
you tell us, I have a word that I want to present to a person uh, in the fellowship, and then you give that word to the person. In fellowship context. In fellowship. And you, for those that's, that's been here a while, everybody is going to weigh. We're a prophetic people. We're going to weigh that word. We're going to weigh it against Scripture. Is it in line with Scripture? Is it in line with the guidelines for what prophetic uh, words should look like? Is it in line with what we've discerned that person's destiny and walk should look like? And then we go, how, do we, how have we weighed that prophetic word? Everybody said we think it's a word from the Lord. Then we can confirm to the person, receive the, you can receive the word that that person has given you, receive it. Then they can officially receive it. It becomes powerful and they can hang on to it for the rest of their lives. If, someone, if somebody said a thing that sounded very beautiful and very nice, but they, maybe people get confused when it comes to who the word was for. They maybe received half a word and they didn't hear the rest of the message. Um, all these things can come in. Or they got a context to the scriptures wrong. Okay, so maybe uh, something has been emotionally received and that's why we don't want to allow people to give it one-on-one. -on -one. You don't have to tell us what the word is. You just say, I've got something. If you are convinced that you received something from the Lord, then you won't be afraid to say in front of everybody, I've received something from the Lord. I think it's for you. I'm going to present it to you. And we can help fill in blanks if need be. And it's safe. But don't walk up to someone after the fellowship is done. And quickly go give them, I can, I can whisper in their ears. Not done. It's not allowed. We don't do it under any circumstances. You don't minister into someone's life. Unless you have had come into agreement where the fellowship has received you to minister to the fellowship. Okay, we keep each other safe. This is a safe place. Difficult thing. So there's a mother and a son that's in fellowship together. So when they're at home, Lazelle's going to have to be very careful how she ministers to her son. Because whenever she starts ministering to him, they're no longer mother and son. They're brother and sister in a fellowship. And immediately they fall under the guidelines of fellowship and the word, the way that word and doctrine should be established. Does it make sense? Leon and Adna, husband and wife at home. If Adna ministers doctrine or correction to Leon, then they're immediately in a very tough situation. We made it. <laughs> <laughs> so they've had to go through a huge learning curve on how to manage that. So she advises him, but she's never, she can never guide or direct him. It's not God's way. If they have questions about that, she might receive a, a word of wisdom from the Lord. Then they bring it to the fellowship or to leadership. They go, this is what I have received from the Lord for our life or our children or whatever. And um, then we go like, okay, we can, we, can, uh, we can validate it from the Word. It's in line with the Word. It's healthy. Now it's done under authority and it doesn't matter that she's a woman that gave a man a word because it was done in authority. Keep each other safe. So that's it. We just want to, we don't want to labor it. Everybody knows how this works. Let's stick to it. Let's keep to it. Let's not tempt each other. Let's not put each other in vulnerable, vulnerable positions. Okay.
Okay. <clears throat> so like we said, this is, uh, the centers around a lot around the motivations of the heart. When we're going to look at Romans, we're going to see a few things. Not only does Paul make his motivations clearly known, but we also see that he really understands his audience. Okay. He really knows who he's talking to and he knows why he's talking to them. Now, how does this pertain to us in our walk in the way that we witness slash minister? Um, <clears throat> a way to keep ourselves safe when we feel the unctioning or the inspiration or the moment that, oh, I have something to say to this person or some input or some advice, immediately the first thing to check is why, the motivation of the heart. Why do I feel inspired? Why do I want to say this? Why do I want to give this input? Why do I want to bring this word? Why? Okay. We do this because we see that Paul and all the apostles, they do that. They know why they're going to minister, why they're writing a letter, why they're going to witness. Okay. So we always ask the question, why? But now it gets tricky because sometimes I can identify the why and still know it's not really the correct why, but I'm going to act on it anyway. Okay. So the second way to test this, the second kind of... Um, acid test we put in place for ourselves is once I can identify the motivation am I willing mm -hmm. to exploit my motivation to the person mm -hmm. that I'm going to give the input or the advice or the whatever to so in other words once I can identify the motivation am I willing to tell the person what it is so in other words I have a prophetic word for you and I'm going to give it to you because I really want to look good in the sight of God. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what we want to do. So the moment we can identify the motivation and then weigh, am I willing to expose this motivation? Then that's a very good way to know whether I'm possibly doing the right thing or maybe the wrong thing. Because if I'm not willing to tell the person what my motivation is, then it's probably not a good motivation. Okay, again, we see this in the way that Paul is going to uh, introduce himself in the letter to the Romans. He's going to tell them why he's writing to them, which means that he knows what his motivation is. And he's so sure of his motivation and sure that it's correct that he's going to tell them exactly what it is. So often, you know, we in, in ministry or in the church world, there's this, oh, are there hidden agendas or, you know, we don't we don't want anyone to work with us or walk with us with an agenda we don't we don't like that and we don't promote that however if i am going to minister the gospel to someone or witness the gospel to someone then i am working with an agenda i'm not just going to encourage them no i'm going to minister the gospel to them so it's an agenda so instead of having hidden agendas and trying to sugarcoat the fact that i'm ministering the gospel to someone We've seen, I've seen with Bournet in the way that he also witnesses the gospel to people. He makes his agendas very clear from the beginning. And it's not just his idea, this is scriptural. Even Yahushua, when he preaches or ministers, he makes intentions known. Okay. And we see this throughout the letters that Paul specifically writes. He knows why he's writing the letter to them and he's not afraid to tell them why. 
Okay, we're going to see this very, very nicely illustrated in the letter to the Romans. Now, can you please tell us the, the ministering in and the witnessing out, the difference there? Yes. Okay, so um, once you start checking our hearts and understanding why, um, why we want to minister or witness to someone, the right motivations of the heart will lead us to want to minister out. Um, it is out, uh, outside of the fellowship, out into the world. Um, because as Nadia said, when we go out to witness to the gospel or um, minister the gospel to other people, um, we're not going with the intention of just saying our say. We are going out to people to minister or witness the gospel to them so that we can help them come into the safe space, into the body of Messiah, as Nadia has mentioned. So we understand that if the motivations of our hearts are right, um, that we want to gift those on the outside who we see the Lord is um, showing to us or, or granting us opportunity with because He is busy within their lives, we want to give them that piece of the puzzle sorry, that they do not yet have concerning the gospel. So our motivation is not to impress them or to show them I know more than you or I see you're a sinner, you really need to hear this. Our motivation is <laughs> I see you're struggling and I see the Lord is working in your life. I see you are seeking and looking or I can even just see you're a little bit stuck. Um, and I'd like to help you. I just want to help you to see the right thing. I want to show you something concerning the gospel that you might not have seen or heard yet that could just allow you to move further into that which the Lord has prepared for you. Now, if this is our motivation, um, we are able to identify what we want to say to this person. We identify how we want to say it and why we want to say it. Um, the thing often, what could happen if the motivations of our heart is not right, um, that we want to, instead of ministering out to the people out there to be a blessing and, and bring a gift, we in effect want to start ministering into the body. Um, so often if we have not been diligent in equipping or forming a substance within the word and within that which the Lord um, has taught us, our um, desires would be to minister into the body because our heart's motivation is not yet pure. Mm -hmm. All right. I hope this makes sense. Is that clear? Makes sense? Yes. So it's at this point we just want to connect this. So, now we're going to talk about witnessing. Sharing the gospel, sharing our faith, sharing the goodness of God. The Bible says freely we have received and freely we give or impart or share. So let's have that attitude whenever we share the gospel or minister or serve. I've received freely from the Lord and when I testify or share a witness, it's going to be free. Free of expectations. I'm not ministering to you because I want you to come to my church or I want you to do anything else. Free. So I want to give a gift and I'll walk away and it's your gift. So is that okay? So we want to maintain that 
motivation of the heart. Otherwise, we can go out, preach the gospel, but the motivation is to try and get people into church. Now, church is a safe place. If they want to come, they can come. We prefer that people are in a safe fellowship. They must be part of the body. But the motivation is not to bring them into that. Okay. Okay. So, again, that's the one element. The other element that we're going to see again from the book of Romans is the fact that Paul knows his audience. And we're going to look at that quite substantially now. Um, that's what Sulani sketched. But just on that note... Um, I'd like to just um, explain how that would relate to us. So if I'm going to witness or minister into anyone's life, um, we are in our study on how to witness and how to be an effective witness. We have started building for each one of us a template. There's nothing wrong with that because we need to know which parts of the gospel is important, uh, which truths are going to give the breakthrough. And so we have a template. But I'm not just going to walk out there and exclaim my form of or just a template and whoever hears, hears, because we know that each person is in their own, on their own journey, in their own walk. Which also, the dangers in ministering to members of the body on the inside is that I don't necessarily always know where that person is on their road, what their struggles are, what they've had to overcome, what they are currently trying to overcome, their strongholds. I don't know any of that. And then if I just decide this sounds like a good thing to minister in this moment, I might derail that entire process that the Lord has been working on. Okay, so we know that Paul in his letters, and we're going to see in the letter of Romans, writes that he He's been praying for them fervently without ceasing. And we know that he does this in a few of his letters where he goes, I've been praying for you. So he's not just writing them a letter because there's a church in Rome and he's decided to write them a letter because he's the apostle. No, he's been praying for them fervently. He knows his audience, but he's been carrying them in prayer. He's been seeking wisdom from the Lord in prayer. So he's not just writing to them what he thinks is a good idea. He's um, involved, he's committed himself, he's dedicated himself to his audience. Now we can do the same to anyone that we're going to witness to. Because let's face it, there's two types, two main types of witnessing. We either to witness, we either witness to someone that we, we know who they are, we have a bit of an idea of where they come from, they might be friends or family or acquaintances or uh, colleagues at work, so we have a bit, of, a bit of an idea who they are and where they come from. This puts us in a position where we can pray a little bit more specifically for the person that we are going to witness to. Which brings me to another point. If you are not willing to pray fervently for a person, don't witness to them. If you're not going to pray for them without ceasing, don't minister to them. A lot of the work is done in prayer. This is where the heart is formed. Okay, this is where the breakthroughs are, are gained and won. Okay. And then there's the other form of witnessing where we kind of in our day we we are 
um, cultivating a mindset where we pray and ask the Lord for opportunities to witness to his goodness and his gospel every day. And then sometimes an unknown person arrives in our lives, comes across our road, and we see there's an opportunity that presents itself to witness. Now, I didn't know this person beforehand, so obviously I couldn't pray for them personally before because I didn't know who they were going to be. But this does not mean that I cannot pray for the people I'm going to witness to. There are still ways to pray for them fervently. Lord, I'm asking you, please send someone on my way today. Grant me an opportunity to witness to your goodness and your gospel. And Lord, I'm asking, prepare my heart for this person to be able to discern who they are, where they are, what you want to say to them. Open my ears and my eyes so that I can, in wisdom, discern what you want to tell them, what you want to show them. Lord, I'm also praying for their hearts. Prepare them. If I am going to be a witness to them, prepare their hearts, prepare the ground so that they can receive what it is that you want to give to them. Anything along those lines. So it doesn't have to be personal and specific. We can still prepare the ground. Okay. And this leads us to knowing our audience. Okay. We've drawn a scale, which I don't think we're going to redraw because that's going to take time. And luckily, Sulani has made a very neat sketch. <laughs> Sulani, please tell them what... Yes. We'll draw that up and send it to you. Yes, we'll send you a picture of this as well. Mm. Sulani, please explain to us what this is and why we have it. Okay. So, as Nadia mentioned, um, in Paul's letters, when he makes known to the church why he's coming, what he's going to teach them and establish... Um, and how he's going to do it. He does it in a very specific manner with each of his letters. Um, and as we'll see now in the, in the letter of Romans, um, he really understands the Romans, he understands who he's writing to, where they're coming from, how he should approach them, what should, how, what should his approach be to really reach them and break through to them. Um, and so, similar to this, in our lives today, we want to do the same thing when ministering to someone else. We also want to understand where is this person coming from that we're going to speak to? What should my approach be? What do I understand from where they come from? What they might understand within the word? Um, what is their background? And so forth. Because we want to witness as effectively as possible. Um, so, we... Sorry, on that note, because again, remember... Witnessing or ministering is never about me and what I'm doing. It's about the person that I'm witnessing to. Yes. So I can be great in my regime and my template that I've set up, but it might not be the best for that person. Mm. Then it's useless. Mm. My witnessing or ministering has to be about the person, the other person, and not about me. So mm. this is why we're looking at this. Mm. Okay. So um, we, if I may add, we, we witness the gospel to everyone that we meet but the approach could differ, mm -hmm. um, you know, just to tweak a few things with specific different types of people could make the, the gospel and the truth of the gospel just shine through to them a little clearer when you tweak it in that sense. So in essence, we've drawn up a scale, a spiritual scale, where we kind <laughs> of, <laughs> we are categorizing people in this scale so that we roughly can <laughs> this is roughly. a rough a rough sketch <laughs> but just so that we can have an idea of all the different people out there we might encounter it will simply make it possible for us to go and look at our strategy that we have in place and to understand 
with which person should I tweak it in this sense and with which person should I tweak it in that sense and it just makes it a lot more effective um, when we go out there so okay here we go you can start for us All right. so we're going to start on the extreme and then we're going to work our way here okay what do we have on this extreme okay so on the furthest extreme we have non-seed satan worshiper actively involved and equipped for darkness okay. what is the potential for evangelizing a person like that non-seed non satan worshiper actively involved in involved in and equipped for darkness zero you come across a person like this what do you do you back away. You don't turn your back to them. You back away slowly and then you run. Okay. No point in trying to minister the gospel to them. But what does Christians do? <laughs> no, they get involved in debates with these guys. So the person that doesn't yet know exactly what is written in the first chapter of Ephesians he knows one or two verses. He decides to get into a debate with the Satan worshipping non-seed high priest over the whole Western Cape. Because <laughs> if we can get that guy saved, then we can get all the, all the Satanists saved. Okay. Or, this is more serious actually, you want to know what you're equipped for because now you get involved with the person that has, that has a home church that's based on the Hebrew Roots Movement at home. Yeah. Hmm. You get into a debate with that guy, unless you know how the law works, which portions of the law fits in where with the New Testament and the covenants, unless you know how covenant works, that debate is going to confuse you hmm. completely. So when it comes to that scale, the guy that's actively non-seed. So the key word here, non-seed and active. Darkness. Identify that. Back off. No point. Okay. Next. All right. The next one is ignorant non-seed involved in religion. Okay. So what would this okay. be? So this would be um, someone that is actively involved. This would be, for example, a Muslim or a Buddhist. They're not actively deciding to worship Satan, but they are involved in religion and, in effect, worshipping Satan without so actively choosing to do so. So that's why they're ignorant. So yes. they don't necessarily know they're worshipping Satan, but they are non-seed in another religion. So ignorantly, mm. they are still involved in darkness. What's more important? What part of that? What's the most important part of that? Non-seed. Okay. All right. Next one. Non-seed agnostic. Critical of... Oh, this is my explanation. An agnostic person <laughs> is critical of all religions. So um, non-seed agnostic would be someone that is simply critical towards all types of religion, whether it be Christianity, Buddhism, Muslim. They mm. just... And they're generally quite aggressive. Yes. These are the kind of guys that love to philosophize, mm. but to no end. They just want to mm -hmm. lift out their issues that mm -hmm. they have with mm -hmm. religion. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's the key word? 
All right, next one is a non-seed atheist. All right, we all know it. So an atheist just doesn't care. So these are the guys that they just do life. They don't really care about religion. They don't want to get involved in debates. They have no need or desire to search. They're just doing life. Okay. Yes. All right. Then, next one, the non-seed Christian. Ooh. Say that again. Non-seed Christian. Non-seed Christian. Ooh, we did it. We said it. Okay, where do we find them? In church. And they're tricky. Yeah. Tricky. Okay, but how, in the long run, how do I identify that this is what we are having to do with? So, luckily for us, they have some signs in the long run. Um, this would be a person that goes to church, um, does all the things they are supposed to do because they've learned and grown up, most possibly in, in this um, environment, yet they willingly have idols in their lives and they just don't feel bad about it. So the law has no effect on them. They, they do whatever they want and then they go to church and pray a bit, but whatever they've done before that's not biblical really actually doesn't bother them at all. It's more of a habit. What would be a good example of these? <laughs> so, for example, the mafia. <laughs> would be We've all seen good. mafia movies, right? They go to church, they're usually Catholic, very strong in their religion, go do some Hail Marys, then walk out and go kill a guy. Okay, true story though. This is real. This is real. Okay. So the law has no effect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Nigerian <coughs> drug dealers and cocktails. Yeah. They're yeah, well. the in church. They mm. actually tithe mm -hmm. on the money they made off the drugs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then the pastors pray for them to do even better so they can bring more money. And they have no fear of God. Mm. Nothing. So they come to the law. That's how you know the non-seed. They can come to the law and the law doesn't affect them. Where you and I, if we come to the law, if we, we, we come under condemnation. Mm. We feel bad. We, that's what the seed, that's the way the seed are impacted by the law. The non-seed are not impacted by the law. That's how you know non-seed. Mm. Yeah. So generally this would just manifest as religion in the biggest sense. Okay, so it's just religion. There's no God, really. Okay, Okay. what do we have next? Okay, so now we're moving on to seed. Oh. So we have seed that chose to serve evil. Okay, now this is really the scary, possibly the scariest one on this scale. Usually, not always, but usually these guys were fivefold born and called by the Lord. Now the fivefold is, is tricky and vulnerable because they are born with supernatural abilities that the Lord gave them so that they could be able to help the body grow and the bride come to perfection. The enemy will always try to bribe them. 
Always, because if they are not actively working to equip the body and to help the bride come to perfection, then and he is able to bribe them, then there's two ways they can do this. So if a fivefold is bribed, then they can just not do anything, or he can give them a big enough bribe that they actively start working for him, for the enemy. And now they still have supernatural abilities, still have giftings, they can still operate them, but it's not light. It's darkness. And they are scary because they've sold themselves to darkness. Okay. These are usually like witches, warlocks. Um, sometimes we do find them in a ministry sense, uh, but we're going to see the next one. These two can also connect. Um, but these are guys that Basically, they're seed, but they have made deals with mm. Satan. They've called up demons. They, this is, this is yucky. Okay, we don't want to get involved there, mm. at all. Yes. This, okay, this particular category. Yes. Whenever now we've moved into where the seed are, mm -hmm. any seed can potentially be saved. Yes. The Lord is going to call out to every one of the seed. Many of them that are the seed that is called by the Bible to be the elect, they will all receive a calling. Many of them in their lifetime times will uh, exchange or uh, exchange the call of God for another call or another purpose. Mm -hmm. Now we know that the, there's the, seed, the, the seed falls into the elect and those that are the kingdom of God in them, that's the remnant. Okay. So, we're just going to look at who is equipped to minister to who and how. Mm -hmm. So, if you encounter one of these seed guys, doesn't say that you can't minister to them. You, you just don't want to get into theological, spiritual battles with them if you're not equipped. Some people can equip over time and become mature enough to minister to this guy and he can be saved. If the Pope is seed... Even though he has sold out his calling to Satan, he can still be reached if he's seed. Do we, we understand? Mm -hmm. It's just difficult. Okay, and then obviously very strong emphasis on the, are we equipped yes. to get involved? Obviously, Marnus, I'm going to use you again as an example, just because you were used. Obviously, Marnus is now not going to go to the Pope and go like, excuse me, Mr. Pope, I, I have a feeling you're seed. Let me explain the gospel to you. Okay. But if you by accident find yourself in his presence, just give it a shot. You give it a go. <laughs> you give it a go and then you back away and trust in the Lord's grace. Okay. Okay. Then next we have seed seed. Oh yes, okay. Then we have seed in other religions. So they're not actively worshipping Satan or involved with Satan but this might be seed caught in um, Hinduism or Islam or Buddhism okay so this is almost like the ignorant one they're not trying to actively worship Satan but they, they are still seed they can be redeemed but they're stuck in another religion okay um, this would be like when we go back to the bloodlines, this would be like your faith that dispersed, that became the Gentiles, and we know that they are 
just because of where they've come from, the way the world has evolved. They are generally born into other religions, but because they are seed, the Lord can still call them out. Okay, we're getting closer now to the areas where we can effectively minister. Okay, next we have deceiving seed. Deceiving seed. So someone who is seed, but they are actively deceiving the body. Okay. So this would be deceiving. deceiving, not deceived, deceiving. Okay. So they are seed. There was a call from God, but now these are, okay. I don't mean to be offensive, obviously, but this is, we all know that there's problems in the greater church, not all churches, the greater church. And the reason that is, is because there are people actively deceiving the people in church. Are these manipulations? Yes. yes. Not always, it's not exactly the same thing, but generally they are also Nicolaitans. So it's not to say that if a person is a Nicolaitan, they are this, and if they are this, they are a Nicolaitan. So it's not exactly equal, but generally we find them there as well. So, so any person, seed, who has the, and also generally they start out walking with God. There is a call from God. They respond, but then um, it's also a form of a bribe or a deal that's made, and they they don't come into all truth, and it's generally to benefit themselves in some way. We don't want to get into the details of that, but the point is, it's seed deceiving, actively deceiving other parts of the body. Okay. Um, we're going to get to parts where this is done in ignorance. This is not ignorance. This is someone who knows that they're doing it. Okay, so we have different categories. This is someone who knows they're deceiving and they are actively deceiving. Okay, next we have agnostic seed. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that one? Yes. So agnostic seed is a little bit different to the agnostic non-seed. Um, in the sense of seed and non-seed, but also, <laughs> big difference. <laughs> but, um, so an agnostic seed would often be very critical towards a believer and not so much towards other religions. So an agnostic seed towards a Muslim or a Buddhist or what have you, they might not really care too much or interact, you know, it is what it is. They're not going to pay too much attention to it. But if they encounter a believer, they most probably would be quite aggressive towards that person. And this is simply because they do not yet understand who they are in relation to God. And they don't yet understand who God is. So um, because of possible hurt or confusion previously, they, um, be they come across very um, aggressive towards another person and they would often want to debate or, or um, attack when you try and approach them. Now with these people we really want to have a patient um, approach. We want to patiently speak with them um, and, and be long-suffering towards them simply because they just, they just don't yet understand who they are in relation to God. Um, some way something went wrong and um, this has caused them to be aggressive towards, towards God and his people. 
Makes sense. Next. All right. The atheist seed. Now, the atheist seed is someone that also just kind of lives life. They don't really care too much. They just do what they want to do. Um, they don't really consider religion at all. Um, I think, so with an atheist seed, uh, correct me if I'm wrong now in this explanation, but like if you were sitting around a table and you would do a prayer, they'd be like, no, they don't believe, they'll just not pray with. So they just, they're not involved. Hmm. And that's just what it is. They don't want to debate. Yeah, they just. Look, when it comes to the atheist seed, they have the interesting ones. They'll give you all the signs that they actually could be ministered to. Remember, now we're going into all the potential. These are the potential guys. Everyone who seed is potential. <laughs> yeah. So now when it comes to seed, first, if we can discern that he's seed, the way we're going to know he's seed is he will make a point to let you know he is atheist. He believes in nothing. He believes so strongly in believing in nothing that it is his religion. That it becomes religion. The reason he needs that is because he's seed and he has the makeup, the design to believe and to have faith. So he's got to have faith in something. Because he doesn't know what to have faith in, he puts his faith in believing in nothing. <laughs> and so whenever you have a person that strongly comes over as atheist, chances are he's seed. The non-seed atheist, he just hasn't given it any thought. And probably doesn't want to. So the non-seed atheist doesn't believe in anything, but if you want to pray uh, around the dinner table, he'll gladly pray with you because he doesn't care. <laughs> but, the, but the seed atheist, <laughs> he's going to clench his teeth, keep his eyes open and fidget just to let you know he's not praying with. <laughs> you notice that. You go like seed. Either demon or seed. So the demon can be driven out, but look, when he fidgets and he makes you it known that he doesn't want to partake, it's probably because he's seed. So that's a good sign. Then you kind of know, I am going to pray for you. I'm going to love you whether you want me or not, because if you are a seed atheist, I'm after you, buddy. That's I'm it. coming for you. I'm coming. And then you start praying. You don't jump in, they just start praying. Okay, but this, these are good things to know about them. They might look like they're aggressive and they're hmm. not interested, but if it stirs their emotions, it's, it's possibility. I'm hoping everyone can start seeing that this doesn't change the template or the gospel that we bring. It just changes the approach, the way we open up, the way we start speaking to the person. Okay, then we have... Ignorant seed. Can you do ignorant seed? Um, yes. So, uh, ignorant seed would be someone that kind of just does Christmas. They do prayer around the table. They do Easter. They do all these things. They go to church now and then. They might pray now and then. But they're just ignorant. Uh, they think they believe. They just don't know what they know. And... They don't know what they believe. Yes. They don't know what they know. They don't know what they don't know. They yeah. don't know what they believe. And it doesn't really matter. They're, just They're going along. Yeah. And these we, we are often exposed to. <laughs> okay. So this is also, we pray for them. And this is generally people that just need a bit of a waking up. Okay. So again, this changes the approach. Then we have seeker seed. 
Can you do seeker seed? Yes, um, so seeker seed would be someone who has already made the decision to perhaps leave the church and are looking. Um, so they would be in a process of searching for truth, searching for God. Um, it might not necessarily be within the word, but they might be church hopping, um, you know, kind of trying to find a place where they feel uh, truth is being spoken. So this would be the seeker seed. Okay, then we have deceived believing seed. Who's that? So the deceived believing seed, um, these are people who know the Lord. They read their Bibles diligently. They go to church diligently. They pray diligently. They really try and serve the Lord as best they can out of what they know. Um, most of these people have often been walking a row for quite a while within the, the church world, um, but they are just unfortunately deceived. So this would be the lady who's been going to the Dutch Reformed Church for 20 years, really diligently trying mm -hmm. to serve the Lord best she can according to what is being taught, but doesn't realize that she's just mm -hmm. being deceived. Mm -hmm. So not having the breakthrough she's hoping for, not having the growth she's hoping for, and doesn't realize that this is why. Okay. Formerly all of us. <laughs> yes, this is where most of us come from, if not all of us. Here, if you ever come across this person, please, a lot of love. They don't know, generally they don't know they're being deceived. Someone who's willingly being deceived, obviously the approach is different, but generally these people just don't know. So we have a soft approach, a compassionate approach. You don't want to jump on them and go like, well, what are you doing worshipping idols? You know, you're going to just hurt them. We don't want to hurt anyone. We want to just guide them, show them towards the Lord, to help them with one or two things from the Bible that could help them just realize what's happening. Okay. Then we have ignorant believing seed. What? <laughs> okay. Ignorant believing seed. This is someone who's no longer actively being deceived. So they've come into truth to whichever extent, but they're not necessarily actively looking to grow or being discipled. They still really haven't defined what they believe and why they believe it, but they're no longer being actively deceived. They're just ignorant. So they're going along, doing what they do, but still in ignorance. So they're not being deceived. They are seed. They know the Lord, but not really in a position of defining what they believe and why they believe it. Not really searching deeper in the scriptures to know more, to grow deeper, to, um, you know... Do we want to add to that? I'd like to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> How do we recognize the um, believing, no, not, not necessarily strongly deceived, but just ignorant believer seed? Because we're going to minister the gospel to them differently. One of the signs that you can identify is they read a lot of Christian books. It's a matter of fact, they'll read all of them. So... The ignorant believer is willing to eat, eat anything from anywhere and incorporate bits and pieces. Why? Because they're not going to keep any of it. 
the ignorance is causing them to go from thing to thing. There's always, this is the new thing that I'm busy with. I've discovered, um, okay, these are the guys that they find out about Sozo and they just want to do Sozo. And then they find out about the new, newest way of doing counseling and then they jump on that for a year. And then it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. This is just the ignorant believing seed. So they believe in the Lord, they love the Lord, the Lord knows them. But they, they have no foundations. So everything just kind of filters through, sinks through, falls through. They love Joyce Meyer. That's how we know them. I'm not <laughs> intending to just be offensive. But that's how we can identify them. They love Joyce Meyer. They love her. Okay? Because out of that substance of <laughs> ignorance, you cannot take what is being preached and, 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 and weigh it against the Word because the Word isn't substance in you. You don't know what you believe. So you'll believe anything. Now, obviously, we want to identify that because it's probably a believer and it's probably seed. Okay. Okay. Then we have... Then we have immature saved seed. Immature saved seed. Now these are guys who are no longer deceived. They are trying to grow. They, are, they love the Lord. They're serving the Lord. They're just immature. So the things they do wrong is not because they want to do it wrong. It's not because they want to do harm. They're just immature. Okay. Generally we find these guys as pastors or church leaders, um, not the deceiving guys, the guys that you, you can listen to them and think, but why, what nonsense are you on about? And they're not doing it with a bad heart, with bad motivations or wrong intentions. They're just immature. Mm -hmm. So the love that they have for the Lord is pure. The devotion they have to the Lord is true. They're just immature. Okay. They haven't grown to the place that they have to grow. Right. Then we have <clears throat> more mature seeker seed. More mature seeker seed. Now these are the guys. Here we get to the place where it could, for most of these coming before, maybe around the immature saved seed, maybe before that already it starts changing. But I mean, because generally one of the first truths we go in with is baptism. We assume that this person needs to still be baptized, die and be resurrected in baptism. Once we get to the immature saved seed and the more mature seeker seed, these are the guys that we're not going to have an opinion about whether they've been resurrected or not. In fact, we're going to assume because the Lord is walking a road with them and because they are in devotion, walking a road with the Lord and trying to serve him with their lives, we're going to assume that that part has been done because the Lord is speaking to them. The Lord is guiding them. They're just still on a journey. They haven't arrived. Makes sense. And the more mature seeker seed are the guys where we, we, these days they tend to be popping up kind of out of nowhere more often. So um, they've been kind of 
they've come out of church, they've realized the Lord is telling them there's more, they've been discovering some things out of the word the Lord has been showing them, they just don't know yet how to piece everything together. But undoubtedly, the Lord is guiding them into truth and their eyes are opening, they are seeing, the Lord is speaking to them and giving them revelation. Okay, so these are quite exciting people to meet and to come across. Um, we want to here start applying some caution in the way that we witness to them because the Lord has been walking a road with them. We don't assume that they know nothing. Obviously, they know something because the Lord has been showing them because they're more mature. They generally literally just need one or two extra details to a certain truth. So they might be like three quarters of a way into the truth of faith. They just need someone to show them this verse and what it says and just open that up and then they're on their way. Okay, so these are quite exciting. Then we have, okay, so now that more mature seeker seat, now we're moving into the fivefold realm. Then we have the ignorant fivefold. Okay, these are guys with, because they're born fivefold, they generally have capabilities and somehow know things from the word that they haven't necessarily read or been taught, but they kind of just know right from wrong, know what to do, but they're not really applying any of it. Okay. They haven't responded truly to God, but if you do get involved in a debate with them, they probably are going to be able to... But I do in English. Outsmart you. Not because they know anything, not because they're speaking from substance or truth or fact, but just because of their built-in capabilities, that which they have been born with. Um, do you want to expand? Is that okay? I don't have to expand on that anymore. Then after that we have, okay, immature fivefold. Immature fivefold. So this is someone who has responded to the call of God, starting to serve him, but they're just still immature. So they're making some mistakes. Again, not because they want to, not because the motivations are wrong or harmful, just they're just still immature. These are guys that probably go into a ministry a bit too soon. Oftentimes they get hurt more than the people around them. And it's just because it was too soon, too much too soon. They're just immature. These are the group that prophesies the birds and the bees to other people, if you want to understand. Mm. So you'll, you'll, you'll be able to identify them very quickly. They can prophesy, mm. but normally it's nice little pictures and nonsensical, non-biblical things that they do. But we want to be aware of if they fivefold see, mm. because we, can, we, we cannot respond, uh, respond to them in a way that you would to any of the other groups. Mm -hmm. But keep in mind, I'm talking to a potential teacher or shepherd, and so they need to be approached differently. They're going to see things in a different way. When you explain something, they'll probably be able to visualize it faster, understand mm -hmm. it quicker. So what you say is going to penetrate very deep, very quick. Mm -hmm. And so we want to our, adjust our approach. Okay. Then we have resurrected mature saint. How are you going to evangelize to this person? You don't. You learn from them, most likely. Okay, these are the guys, you go into humility, you sit down and you learn what you can. 
Okay? You can exchange gifts, as Paul says in his, in his letter, also in Romans. Exchange gifts, learn what you can from one another, enjoy the fellowship, and then probably fellowship together for the rest of your life, because let's be honest, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> then we have, last but not least, the resurrected mature fivefold. Obviously, none of us ever feel the need to minister to Monet. So there you go. Case closed. We understand <laughs> what we're looking at. Okay. Obviously, yeah, we know who they are. We are humbled to be in their presence. Okay. So there we have that. Does that help at all? Do we see how this can be valuable? in how we approach different people when we meet them. So this is areas that when we pray for the Lord to give us opportunity to witness, we ask the Lord for discernment to understand where about on the scale the people are. Obviously, within the areas that we've looked at, they, they each have their own little sliding scale of where they are in extremes. But if we can just better understand, discern where this person is, who they are, then this makes our approach a bit different and we can be much more effective, get to the point much faster and have them um, bear the fruit that they need to bear much more effectively and quicker. Okay, so just a quick example of the non-seed, the seeing, uh, Satan worshipping type of guy. How do you approach them? So once, a guy in a turban, the real deal from somewhere in the Middle East, came up to me and he said, can he read my palm to tell me my future? Wow. So, immediate, so immediately, immediately, so I was just walking down the street, he came toward me, he said, can I read your palm, uh, tell you your future? The Christian in me jumps up and goes, I'm going to evangelize this guy. Wisdom goes, no, you're not. So I just basically said to him, um, no, you can't read my palm, but I can tell you your future. You're going to hell. <laughs> Bye. That was it. So I'm not going to get into it with him because I wanted to evangelize him, but the wisdom in me told me, non-seed, save yourself some time and walk away. Do you get what I'm saying? So we need to grow the, dis what's the discernment? Discernment of spirits. Okay, so first of all, you have a non-seed guy full of demons looking for an excuse to get involved with you. Okay. With those guys, isn't there something that would repel you also? Inside, you just be repelled by them? No, definitely. But you've got to take into account, we'll also encounter seed that are currently harboring demons. Now, that would also repel you. You might encounter a witch who is actually seed. So that's why you also need to be sensitive when you're repelled by the demonic presence. You need to be sensitive to the attraction that's in the heart. When both happens, then you've got to ask the Lord. Uh, if, you, if you know you're encountering someone that, that needs deliverance first, then best is to organize. Okay, we're going to talk about how you approach that. There's a need that you can identify you want to use the need to get them into contact with uh, ministry situations so that we can try and help them. But you don't get into it with them. Okay, but let's go mm. to the book of Acts. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
So Silani, what are we doing next? Okay, so we are finally making our way uh, through the scriptures to the book of Romans. But before we look at the letter to the Romans, sorry, uh, we are going to have a look at two instances in Acts where Paul is um, ministering to Romans. And we're going to see what his approach was, how he adjusted it, what did he learn, um, what was the outcome. So as we read, um, we're not so much going to look at what Paul says, but rather at what is happening and what is the end result, what happened in the end um, concerning his approach towards the Romans in these stories. So we can page to Acts 14. So even Paul needs to learn this. Okay. So. Um, maybe just some background what we mean when he's ministering to Romans. Okay. So we know that Paul has uh, traveled throughout the world and he goes to different towns and places to minister the gospel to the people. And in this letter specifically, we see that he is um, ministering to the to Greeks, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, <laughs> um, and Greeks in essence at the time were under Roman rule and part of the Roman. Mm. So they they're Roman citizens, they're Roman people, they Latin, if you will. So we know that he ministers to all Gentiles and most of the world that he travels in is under Roman um, governance mm -hmm. and part of the Roman Empire, but not all the people are Romans. They, there's still some local people in between them, uh, we even find some Jews among them. And so Paul ministers to different people in different places, but the two examples we're going to look at is we're specifically talking to Roman people, people who come from that mindset, that background, that tradition, that culture. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> um, so we're going to read from. Where did it? From verse eight. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, so from verse eight. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. <coughs> but when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, 
filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Great attempt at evangelism. <laughs> Beautiful. And this is Paul we're speaking about. I mean, this guy has been appointed the apostle to the Gentiles. How much fruit did he have from this event? That's not rhetorical. You can answer. No, none. Nothing. Slightly. Being the understatement of the Bible, right? Okay. So let's look at it. So just from Paul's template, what he's known, what he's done before, he's not doing anything wrong off the cuff. It's the approach and it's the people. So what is happening? So he's standing in Lystra, proclaiming the gospel, while doing this, notices a crippled man, does a miracle, and because of the power of God that came down, and the gospel that he's been ministering, people go, oh, wow, the gods have come down because we're seeing supernatural power. The priest runs out. They start, uh, what's the word? Throwing garlands. Throwing garlands, sacrificing to them. Paul and Barnabas are going, well, this is obviously the opposite of what we wanted to achieve. They start going, no, 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 tearing their clothes, trying to calm the people down, proclaiming more truth. And this just erupts even more because they say they couldn't restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So it's just going from bad to worse. Then the next moment, the Jews from the previous places they were show up and going, this is a hideous blasphemy. And the multitudes stone them. Well, Paul. Brilliant attempt. Really goes well. Okay. So we see that Paul in, his essence, in what he does doesn't necessarily do anything wrong. Because we tend to think if we can preach the gospel and we can... I mean, if I can just throw a miracle in there, there's no way this person is going to resist the work of God in the Spirit. I mean, if I can just speak right and the power of God is present, the person's going to get saved in an instant. Okay. Obviously not the way it always works. So Paul is learning from the Roman mindset that the power of God is not necessarily going to do the job because of where they come from. They have a concept of gods and they have a concept of supernatural power and their interpretation of what's going to happen is not going to help their eyes open to the true God. Okay, shall we look at the second Example. Okay, the second example is in Acts 17 from verse, from verse 15. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then 
certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Yahushua and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the, and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Mm -hmm. Yahweh who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple, temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of Yahweh, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and by man's devising. Truly these, thing, the, sorry, truly these times of ignorance Yahweh overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. And believed. Among them Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Okay, what do we learn from this? So, we see here, did Paul have much fruit here? So Paul had a little fruit, but he didn't have much fruit. Considering, okay, he went with a new approach. After the experience he had previously with the Romans, um, being quite drastic, and I'm sure one he would not want to repeat again. <laughs> he completely changed his approach towards them. He went to their synagogues, he went to the Areopagus where people philosophize and, and speak and hear new things and are open to receive um, you know, a new religion or new faith or to listen to what you have to say. So his approach differs, he's going in with a softer, you know, <coughs> trying to speak with them, um, debate a little bit, you know, kind of speaking in this manner. Um, but we see that the fruit he has, however, is not plentiful. He does have a little fruit, um, and it does go a little better than in, in chapter 14, but <laughs> it's still not the desired outcome, considering the time spent, the effort put in, 
um, in evangelizing and, and preaching the gospel. Um, so we see that the two of them, he goes from one extreme more or less to the, to the other extreme, and in both cases the fruit aren't plentiful. And this leads us to the letter in Romans, where he has written a very well-versed letter to them. Um, he has learned from the two experiences how he should be approaching them, how should he be communicating the gospel to them, what will have the proper effect, what will bear fruit in the long run. Um, and he... Refine. He refines, refines his method. Um, and then we get the letter in Rome. Before yeah. we move on, just show us out of the text what happened, what, what motivated him. What is the motivation? motivation in Acts. He sees that there's the idol worship. Is what happens. Oh, you can maybe do that. I don't know where exactly you want me to read. What happens in his heart? Oh, okay. Uh, his spirit was... Okay, so this is in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. Now, please notice, his spirit. Small letter S, which leads us to believe that he felt inspired. Now, we're not saying he did the wrong thing in witnessing to them or ministering to them, but this was also um, a motivation that came from his heart in wanting to minister the gospel to them. When they, they moved with, by the Spirit, it's very clearly state the Spirit went down. Mm. Here he's provoked. Mm. Oh. Sorry, say that again. He's provoked. He and is provoked. Churches, when the Spirit moves in, it's very clearly state the Spirit. <coughs> and it he's says like it says things like Paul, full of the Spirit, mm. stood up and said the following is thing. Provoked, like getting angry. Uh, something activated him. He was triggered. Yeah, like <coughs> prodded. Yeah. So someone like prodding at him. Okay. Right. And so. What did he do after being triggered? Spend about a year in Athens trying to convince them. It's a long time. Okay. So this leads us to the letter to the Roman Church. Now. <coughs> The letter to the Roman church is a very interesting one and a very important one for a few reasons. Number one, when we start reading, we're going to see that um, <coughs> I don't want to do your part. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking now. Okay. So Paul, out of these two experiences, has now refined his methodology and the way he's going to minister the gospel to them. But now we also keep in mind that he's writing a letter to them. He hasn't been there yet. He knows that his destiny is to end up in Rome. So he's not just going to write a letter to them because there is a church in Rome. He's going to write a very specific letter to them. And part of the reason is because he knows he has to go there in the future. He can't just show up one day and go, hi, I'm Paul, because he now understands, better understands the mindset of the Roman person. So what is he doing? He's writing a letter in advance. He's sending a letter ahead of himself to establish some authority about who he is, 
get some mindsets going, change some of the ways they walk out the faith. And then later he knows he's going to go there himself. But now he's already put some things in place. Also, something to keep in mind when reading the letter to the Roman church is, <clears throat> and you can go pray about this and you know, search the scriptures to see if you agree. There's a very big chance that the letter he writes to the Roman church is prophetic in its essence. Solani, please explain to us what that means. Okay. <laughs> so we say this because from looking back from where we are now and from what we understand within the general uh, Christian religion, we can see that uh, Rome is where the Catholic Church was birthed and it is there where they started to um, uh, change the, the word, the gospel, where they perverted the word of God. It is there where they um, established idols within the religion. It is also from there where the essence of the uh, yeah, of the, the Christian religion, greater known today, the modern has, Christian religion, has sprouted and come forth from. Um, so, it's quite significant when reading the letter in Romans and looking back at what has transcri transcribed uh, throughout the ages in the religion, how Paul writes and addresses pretty much every aspect that has gone wrong or been perverted in, in the church and how he has addressed it in the letter to the Romans concerning the gospel, um, foreseeing what would happen within the future. Um, and that is why we can say this. So if we read, if you read Romans, go see if you agree, but it does, it, it does seem that Paul is not only writing to the Roman church in its time, but he is also prophetically writing to the generations to come uh, that would be birthed from what we now know as the Roman Catholic Church, the modern Christian belief or religion. So he's actually warning them of what is going to happen, how things are going to evolve, what they're going to incorporate, what they're going to do wrong. And somehow it seems that he foreknew all of this and actually gave them a warning. This is also significant because we understand that Rome becomes the, the place where the first beast is going to rise up. This is the, the rise of the first beast. And Paul is actually prophesying against this before it's even happened, like a few hundred years before it even happens. Which is, I mean, it's quite scary, but it's also beautiful because this is the place... Paul is not just going to write them a letter for warning them, but Paul is going to spend the last two years of his life in Rome, in the place where the beast is going to rise up. And he is actually going to teach them, guide them, establish the faith, which means that for future generations, all future generations sprouting from the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church and everything that that evolved to, he 
in actual fact condemns them because this has been proclaimed to them and they end up with no excuse. Mm. Another thing that ends up being quite beautiful and significant is the fact that um, according to, I'm going to call it legend, but according to records, not biblical records, but historic records, it does seem that the Apostle Peter himself, when the persecution started, was taken to Rome and actually was uh, martyred in Rome. Why is this important or significant? Um, and I mean, there's a lot of depth to this, but this means we know in the letter to the Galatians, Paul writes that he had been given the apostleship to the Gentiles, just as Peter was given the apostleship to the Jews, which means what we end up with is two witnesses, both spending the last parts of their lives in Rome, the place where the beast would rise up, being able to prophesy against them. And so we have a beautiful picture of the two witnesses proclaiming truth in the place where the beast would rise hundreds of years after, because the Roman Catholic Church only comes into its existence around about the year 400. Okay, so let's keep this in mind and... Well, we're going to leave it there. Okay. We had Yes. Okay, well, what's waiting for us next week is magnificent. Okay. But please, I mean, what we'd like you to take away from today's teaching is go meditate on this. And you can even go go read the first chapter, chapter and a half of Romans and go meditate on the the concept of when we witness, when we minister, knowing what we are going to minister, how we're going to minister it, and almost, I want to say most importantly for this season is why. Mm -hmm. What are our motivations and are we going to make our motivations known? Are we sure? Mm -hmm. Okay, so go meditate on, on that. Okay, so obviously when it's a two or three part series of teachings, um, you want to you establish what you've heard today, and it's only going to make more sense when we do the rest of everything. So, you don't have to memorize that chart. You just have to be aware of the fact that you can kind of assess where a person is on the chart whenever you're going to deal with someone. This will help you understand your response. So that you don't get stoned. Okay. Or worshipped. Or worshipped. So there's, there's pitfalls. So what happened to guys like Benny Hinn? He very effectively started ministering in the beginning days. If you go look at his early day um, discipleship under Catherine Kuhlman, spirit-filled, full of um, these miracles and wonders, but no foundations doctrinally. And what happens to him? Does a few miracles and the world wants to worship him. And what did he do? He allowed them to worship him. It's only later years that they started stoning him. And that's where the balance comes in. Um, fivefold, fully fivefold guy, wanting to serve the Lord. Uh, out of ignorance, 
being deceived and becoming a deceiver, that's how that happened. And so when we look at the scale, we can see how what happens with Paul, he learns from it. Okay. So instead of being triggered into ministering, we want to understand the motivations, understand what the Holy Spirit is doing. So in the first case, ministering to the Romans, the Holy Spirit did heal a guy because the guy had faith to be healed. But it didn't bring, through, bring fruit. So we've got, to, we've got to be aware of all these things. We've got to learn. We've got to grow more mature. You will make mistakes in the process because we also learn by um, uh, experience. Okay, But if we can go back to the chart and go like, who did I talk to? Why did I respond the way I responded? Then we can kind of learn of what we're doing. Benny Hinn should have early days identified the type of people that were coming to his meetings worldwide. If he could do that, then he could adjust his approach and he could have far more kingdom fruit. If he had to come to Cape Town, whenever he comes to Cape Town, go and have a look at the crowd. Go and have a look at the crowd. It's a very specific type of crowd. They're looking for God. They're looking for gods. They're looking for power. They're looking for something. It's the ignorant, deceived Christian, average Christian world that's there. And they come by their thousands. If he could identify what the audience was, he could better align himself. Does it make sense? Okay. So... Go think about it this a little bit. Questions. Okay, the main thing to understand here, if we can learn to identify more or less when we're speaking to a non-seed, then we can know when to move away. Okay? Non-seed, very often you'll minister and minister and minister and minister and nothing happens. Normally, when you try and minister to seed, they'll get offended or they will start to repent. But the non-seed can keep you busy for the rest of your life. Okay, so these are kind of things that we want to learn about. Questions? Questions? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just a technical question, but uh, regarding ministering outside the body. So if you minister or witness to someone who's outside the body and you bring them inside, we then stop witnessing because they're now inside the body and then we just kind of... Very good, very good question. You continue to pray for them. You continue to walk a road with them. But there's obviously going to be a point where you're not going to be able to continue to minister to them. Okay? When somebody brings someone to the fellowship, so the Holy Spirit used them to come to the fellowship, the ideal would be that we continue to work with that person in discipling the person, but it depends on the person as well. So there's a few people we've identified in the ministry that is going to be trained in the fivefold. <coughs> They aren't actively 
learning how to minister. So we're going to more actively want to see them also partake in the discipling of those persons. But oftentimes a person in the fellowship would minister to someone over time until they get baptized and then the person will rapidly start to grow and then you just become believers that walk together. So it would be unhealthy if a person wanted to continue to minister over a long time. It's another thing that happens in the church world. Um, it's not healthy because the person comes and takes his position in the ministry and then it's better to stop ministering to that person. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm sure everybody can see the logic behind it, the practical benefit of then stopping. Because then the motivations of the hearts can become dangerous. I want to keep my position. I ministered to a person, now there's fruit, and then I want to keep my position as ministering. And now the, the motivations will change. This becomes extremely difficult. Does that make sense? Yes. I just want to make sure I understand it correctly, because Joanna specifically asked witnessing. Um, is the witnessing not something that will forever continue? And that means that sometimes you'll do it silently, but the formation of you is will manifest, yeah. but the active involvement will Perfectly said. Mm -hmm. So, Johannes, I'm sure that was also part of, look, we all maintain a witness unto the Lord, but the witnessing has an effective evangelistic aspect to it on the outside, but once a person is inside, I'm not going to, we're not evangelizing each other anymore. But the witnessing remains a witness. Now, this is in the fellowship. The biggest witness we have is principles. Does that make sense? The worst witness in a fellowship is when we witness the opposite of living according to principles. These are, this is the main witness inside. So we, uh, we, we walk out the principles, biblical principles and truths, because of the witness we have to each other. Because if we don't witness the, the principles, and according to the principles, we lose our, our safety status within the group, and we lose our authority. And this means that we no longer... We, so that, that sets us up in a way in the fellowship that's negative. That's sensible, isn't it?